Kids, thank you for leading us in worship this morning. You have been a rich blessing to all of us. So we stand in this room. I call your attention to Psalm 51. We continue a message series on prayer today, turning from adoration to confession. So here, one of the classic texts of confession in the Holy Scripture, Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, you desired truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bulls. On your altar. Let us pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for an opportunity to gather with our sisters and brothers. We thank you for an opportunity to welcome guests and friends. We're aware, Lord, today that we gather and we worship as Christians, and we know that there are those in our midst who do not worship you, God, but they're here because they're interested or because they're friends with us. And Lord, we thank you that everyone that is here is here this day to participate together in this act of worship. Lord, may, may our worship be a witness in this place. And Lord, we thank you that you hear the humble prayers of broken people. We thank you that you do not despise contrite and broken hearts. So today we come once again to say collectively, have mercy upon us, God, 
according to your loving kindness. This is our prayer in Christ's holy name. And we pray together saying, Amen. Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon me, O God. This is how the psalm begins. Have mercy upon me, O God. Let's say it together. Have mercy upon me, O God. This is perhaps a simple prayer, but it's a rich one and a powerful one and one we need to tuck in our hearts to call up on days when we think we don't need it and on days that we know we do. Have mercy upon me, O God. Let's say it together. Have mercy upon me, O God. As we talk about and we remind each other how to pray as we pray together, we need to remind each other to pray the prayer that Psalm 51 teaches us to pray. Have mercy upon me, O God. Psalm 51 is, is a brief theology of God's mercy. If we approach this psalm with the questions, what does mercy mean and what are the means of mercy? If we approach it with those questions in our hearts, I think we'll come away with some answers that have a chance to animate our days and renew our broken spirits. To that question of the means of mercy and the meaning of mercy, to the meaning of mercy, we have four truths in this text. And the means will see four results. And very shortly, very quickly, this morning, I want to walk through those, those four truths and those four results. First, when we ask the question, what is the meaning of mercy? We see in this text that God's unfailing love is the basis of mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God, verse 1, according to what? Your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. According does some heavy lifting in those two verses. This psalm is attributed to the situation where David is confronted by Nathan after his, his shameful, selfish sins with Bathsheba and Uriah and the nation and himself and his God. And he comes in this prayer and he prays, have mercy upon me, God, according to your tender mercies. You see, he had options. He could have come and tried to talk it out with the Lord. He could have tried to humble brag in the presence of God. He could have tried to compare himself to others. Quite often that's what we do. So often we're like that, that Pharisee beating, our, our, uh, standing in that presence, watching a man beat his breast, crying out for mercy, saying, I'm at least not like that guy. He's not better than that guy. This is how David could have gone about it. But he didn't. A few years ago, there was an Americana singer named Todd Snyder. He wrote a song called All Right Guy. It's a catchy little song, but it's got a pretty messed up theology. It starts out like this. I'm an all right guy. He said, I may be dirty and I may smoke a little dope, but it ain't like I'm going on TV and tearing up the picture of the Pope. He wrote that song right after Sinead O'Connor went on Saturday Night Live and tore the picture of John Paul II. And the world blew up. The song was about his sins and his brokenness and his messed upness, but he would always point to somebody else just a little bit, a little bit darker and say, at least like I'm not like her. At least like I'm not like the crazy Irish girl with no hair. I may be kind of dirty. I may be messed up, but I'm an all right guy after all. And so much of our 
so-called confession is coming before the Lord and pleading the fact that we think of ourselves as all right guys. And David said, no, no, no. I plead for your mercy according to your loving kindness, according to your tenderness. Not because of my very real achievements or not because I can very truly point to people worse than me, but because of your tender mercies. If we're going to build a theology of mercy, we have to start here that the basis of God's mercy is his scandalous compassion. That scandalous compassion that scandalized Jonah. He didn't even want to go to Nineveh because he knew if he preached that message that, that maybe, just maybe, God would, would be kind to the Ninevites. Why? Why did he think this? Because he knew God was scandalously tender and compassionate. This has been who God's been since the very beginning. He's like, I want that Old Testament mean God. Last time I checked, Jonah's in the heart of the Old Testament. And David is crying out in the heart of the Old Testament. I seek mercy according to your tender mercies, according to your compassion. And this is where it's got to start for us too. Not humble brags, not comparisons, not halfway confessions. Not our resume, not God's lucky to have us. That's the middle class of spirit. And Jesus says, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. God's unfailing love is the basis of his mercy. The second truth I want to point out to you this morning is that God's word makes our transgressions clear to us. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions. He didn't always. He'd built a pretty good scaffold around his sin. He'd built some good justifications around it. Most of the time we work full time duping ourselves. I just read Cormac McCarthy's new novel. It's hot off the presses. This one's still warm. Woo. It's been a long time since he's put out a novel. The last one wants to, won the Pulitzer. You can take a little break if you do that, I guess. But in this novel, there's a great scene in which the protagonist is in a conversation with the private investigator. And the PI looks at him and he says, when smart people do dumb things, it's usually due to one or two things. The two things are greed and fear. They want something they're not supposed to have, or they've done something they weren't supposed to do. In either case, they've usually fastened onto it a set of beliefs that are supportive of their state of mind. But at odds with reality. Here's the thing about sin. Sin will put us at odds with reality. To do it and to do it well, to cover it up and to grow in it, we have to lie to ourselves. And we can be pretty convincing self-deceivers. It just puts us at odds at reality. And we say things so convincingly and so directly, we would pass a lie detector test because we believe it down in our bone marrow and our guts. Really, it's the truth. How do you know? I've done it myself, and I've watched countless congregants do it. I've seen us all at odds with reality because of our sin. And one of the great things about the mercy of God is that God's word breaks through all of that. And brings clarity. 
The story is told in 2 Samuel 12. You know David's story. It's, an, it's, a sad, it's a sad and tragic tale. And he was living strong on the outside of it. And the word of the Lord said, and this pleased, displeased God. And he sent Nathan the prophet to him. And Nathan comes in to the king at the end of chapter 11. It says, but these things that David had done displeased the Lord. Verse, verse 1 of chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he told him a story and he drew him into the story. And he pointed his prophetic bony finger. We always think of his finger as bony. I don't know why. Maybe he had a chubby finger. But he pointed the finger of the prophet at David, and he, you, you're the guy. You're the guy. And the piercing clarity of God's word cut David to his very soul. Verse 13 of that chapter, so David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. This morning might be the morning where the word of God cuts through your self-deception. Friends, it's no fun to be at odds with reality. That path doesn't end well. God would like to bring you back to clarity of thought, soundness of mind, to reality. And one of his great mercies is the piercing conviction that comes from his word. Third truth, all sin has a Godward thrust. Verse 4, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. You say, tap the brakes, pastor. He sinned against a lot of people. Was he doing some kind of religious trick here? Why is he only confessing to God? All sin has a Godward thrust, and this is good news because this means that there can be a basis for justice in this earth. You see, there were people in David's day who said, okay, I'm going go, to go love God in the temple. I'm going to lay some sacrifices down. I'm going to go love God in the temple. That's, that's my God life. I might love God in the synagogue. I might love God when I read the word. I'm, I might love God when I do this or do that. And the rest of my time is my time. And so people believe that they could mistreat their workers. They believe that they could abuse others. And as long as, they were, as long as they were letting the smoke fly into the air, they were good with the Lord. And the heart of prophetic religion, the heart of godly religion, the heart of biblical religion says, this is not how it works. Without a robust doctrine of sin, friends, you cannot have any kind of concept of justice whatsoever. It's a fool's errand to think you can. All of our sin touches God because he loves people so very much. And when we wound ourselves and we wound our neighbors and we wound the people we love, we are touching the very heart of God. All sin has a Godward thrust. Fourth truth. Mercy is greater than the mystery of sin. Verse 5, he says, I was conceived in sin. He says, I've been a part of a web of sin my whole life. He, he, he said, this goes deep. He said, you're going to teach me wisdom in my inward parts. He said, this is not just something I saw and I grabbed. He said, this sin goes deep and I'm, I'm trapped in this web of it. It's, it's a mystery of iniquity. Let me tell you, friends, it is indeed. Indeed. 
And we've all known the power of it. We know it even this day. But let me remind you the gospel. His mercy is greater than the mystery of sin. From time to time, Meredith and I reached back into the 90s and 80s to watch a movie. Uh, we were the blockbuster generation. We'd go in there and pick those VHS out, you know. Sometimes we'd go and watch a movie streaming that we used to could pick out in a box. <laughs> and recently we watched a, a, great, a great film uh, called Absolute Power with Gene, uh, Gene Hackman and Clint Eastwood, Laura Linney, Ed Harris. There's a scene in that movie where this billionaire is hiring a hitman, and the hitman is named McCarty. And McCarty looks at the billionaire, old man Sullivan, and says, you're a salesman, sir. To which the old billionaire looked back and said, selling sin is easy. Selling sin is easy. Iced Eskimos, hard. Gasoline to the Amish, harder. Sin, simple in every culture. Selling sin is easy. The mystery of iniquity is a mystery and a deep and a rich one, and we can't even wrap our minds around it. Nor can we fully conceive of the mercy of God. But we can know because of the authority of his word that it's deeper and richer and more powerful. So these are four truths about mercy that you need in your heart. As you pray, be merciful to me, O God. Now, very quickly, and I want you to write these down. The means of mercy produces four results. I'll give them to you all with the letter C to aid your memory. The first one is the mercy cancels. Verse 1 and 9, blot out my transgressions, unsend me, expunge my record. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, we read these, these beautiful, beautiful words. For he, Jesus, he was made sin who knew no sin that he might become the righteousness of God that we might become the righteousness of God. When we pray for God's mercy, we're asking God to unsin us, to expunge our record. Some of you in legal defense, you know the power of an expunged record. He said... Mercy cancels the record. Let that sink in for a minute. We're haunted by the record. But God's mercy cancels the record. And we'll embrace that only through the spirit of the living God. Only through God's grace will we break off even the smallest part of that truth. But his mercy cancels. Two, his mercy cleanses. Verse 7, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. We grew up singing about that, didn't we? In Israel, Mount Hermon is often snow-capped and you can see it from a distance. And in that bright Palestinian sun, it shines with the brilliance that is unimaginable. And God's mercy applied to our lives cleanses us and makes us shine with the brilliance of God's mercy and kindness and grace. My first year of college, 
I, I paid for my books by working in the athletic department. I was an assistant in the athletic department. What I did was I washed the laundry of college athletes. I've seen some vile things in my life. <laughs> but that one still takes the cake. And I took pride in laundering those, those white pinstripe baseball uniforms. Getting that red Mississippi mud out of them. There's nothing quite as beautiful as a white baseball uniform after it's been laundered. One time Molly had a white sweatshirt, got stain on it. We were all frustrated about it. We had to Google search how to clean it. We cleaned it with milk. Took the ink right out. I'm something of a Helloways Hints kind of guy. I can help you with your stains. <laughs> I've learned some things over the years, and this is what I know, that every time I, I'm a victor over a stain, I just have to pause and thank God. Because it's a little icon of what he does with my life. Because when it comes to messing up a life, I'm like a college athlete looking to go pro. Sometimes I feel like the chief of sinners. How about you? If you've ever felt like that, you're in the company of Paul and David. And they taught us to pray, have mercy upon me. Oh, God. 1 John 1, 8, 9, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. But if you confess it, he cleanses you. God's mercy, third, creates, verse 10 and 11, create in me a steadfast spirit. Do your work in me. These bones that you have crushed, revive these bones. God not only eradicates the record, he not only cleanses the stains, he revives the life. Leonard Cohen saying, when you're not feeling holy, your loneliness tells you you've sinned. Sin comes with an ache in the bones. The body keeps score. The mind keeps score. It's a burden and a weight. And God can create new life and new days and new mornings and new opportunities and new, and new passion and new joy, new life because he is the creator of all life. And just as he spoke over the, the early chaos, he can speak over the chaos of your Thursday afternoon and create something fresh that needs to be lived out in this earth. And lastly, I promised you I'd be quick. His mercy empowers us to confess. Verses 13 to 15. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Open my lips and, and I will praise you. Robert Davidson said that the student in the school of faith becomes the teacher who shares not the textbook theology, but personal experience with God. One of the double challenges of our sin is that sometimes when we do it big time, we think, then we can be no use to the Lord or others. All God's ever had to work with has been sinners. And God wants you to take you from a place of brokenness and defeat and failure to open your lips to praise him and to teach others your way. That your life, your life 
can be a living sermon to the wonders of the grace of God. So don't hold back. Don't quit. Don't allow some, don't allow some sin or brokenness in your life to keep you from a place of passionate pursuit of the Lord and, and to lay your life down and say, God, I want you to, to, to empower me and bless me and strengthen me that I may be a blessing to others. Don't ever, 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 ever listen to that whispering lie of the adversary that says, you're done now. Because you are not. Because, because his mercy is rooted in his tender compassion. Not your batting average. I love how verse 17 rings it out. God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. Oftentimes the things we despise the most, the Lord is attracted to like a moth to a flame. The sacrifices that please the Lord, it is honest contrition from the heart. We confess our brokenness and our need for him. We can do it with humility, but we can also do it with confidence. We can pray desperately like this. Oh, God, make haste to help me. God, I'm way down here. Hurry up, please. Please come. I want you to stand. We're going to sing. Some of you right where you're sitting today, you need to say, God, here's my life, all of it. Come, make haste to help me. Be merciful to me, O oh God, according to your loving kindness. Some of you, it might be a matter of just, just doing that as you sing, just offering a heartfelt prayer to God. For some of you, it might be this afternoon or Monday or Tuesday, you need to go look for one of your friends, somebody you really trust, and say, let me tell you what's been going on in my life. I have been bound by something, and I'm sick and tired of it. It is beating me. But God's mercy is powerful. And I need, I need God's help and I need your help. That may be the way some of you need to respond this week. Some of this, some of this invitation goes on seven, eight days. I've seen it happen week after week. Some of you might need to join this church or, or confess your faith in Christ. We all need to freshly commit ourselves to his way. So as we sing, just open up your heart to God in whichever way you feel God is calling you to to do that but don't turn your shoulder to him don't stiffen your neck he's good and he's God this is serious stuff so together let's pray together let's give ourselves to the Lord Andy would you lead us